Well, good morning again, and welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, my name is David. I serve as the senior pastor here, and I want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time with us, or maybe this is your first time here on our campus. You were here with us on Easter Sunday at the CPA, and you've come here to our main campus. We're delighted to have you today. We're beginning a brand new series. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, the title of this series is Declutter, Creating Space in Our Chaotic World. And I want to ask just a, just a question up front. Does anyone not know what we're talking about? Is there anybody confused, thinking, what is this whole idea of clutter and chaos? If, if you're there, okay, if your life is so simple and if you have found such tremendous peace in your life, uh, Pastor David at fmcm.org, email me and you can preach next week, okay? So just let me know. Um, I, I think it's pretty remarkable that with just a few images and a few words, everyone in this room knows what we're talking about. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and one of the reasons that I feel that is as a communicator, whenever a new sermon series comes around, one of the hardest things is how can you communicate to your entire audience in the course of about two and a half minutes what the theme is? In other words, how can you get everybody on the train so that we can go somewhere together? That's really hard to do, and I spend a lot of time thinking through that. How do I articulate what the theme is, what we're talking about, so everybody kind of knows and is on the same page? And I realized in preparing for this series, I don't really have to do that <laughs> because of how common this experience is, this feeling of, our of trying to find space in a chaotic and really cluttered world. That's, that's pretty remarkable. Here's another remarkable thing. We live in a world where we not only experience this on a regular basis, but we also live in a world where we are surrounded by resources to help us with this. Go to the bookstore. There are sections dedicated to this. There are magazines that are dedicated to this. There are people who travel the country offering systems and ideas on how to declutter your life. There are whole lines of stores that you can go to where there will be a specialist who will help you create the peace and tranquility that you've been longing to find in your closet. I mean, there's, there are things everywhere to help us with this. Google time management, 146 million hits, okay? You can find tons and tons of resources. But here's the third thing. Almost none of us are getting any better at this. Now, how's that for a depressing start to the series, right? We all know, we all experience this problem in our lives. We are surrounded by resources to help us with it, and yet almost none of us are getting better, which raises the question of why. Why is that? Why is this such a struggle for us in our life to, to find peace in the midst of a chaotic and cluttered world. Well, here's a couple of ideas I've come up with. Here's, the first one is one that I think we're just going to talk about because we've got to be honest with, with ourselves. That at the end of the day, whether it's you're looking at your calendar, your activities, whatever it is that's causing you stress or friction in your life, at the end of the day, most of us are unwilling to sacrifice. At the end of the day, you have to come to a point of saying, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to invest in this, I'm not going to invest in this. And most of us just don't want to go to that place of discomfort where we have to make the decision 
to sacrifice. Let me think about it this way. Uh, at the beginning of the year, many of you had the same goal I did. I got through the holiday season, you got through November and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, and you did the same thing I did. You ate way too much food, right? I mean, you just, whoo, six weeks of eating whatever you wanted. You were so excited. Everybody's together. Christmas. Yes, I'll eat that. Yes, I'll eat that. New Year's. Yes, let's bring all this food in. You got to January 1st and you went, oh, Oh, no. And so you thought, oh, I got to lose five pounds or 10 pounds. And, and, and you made that goal just like I made that goal. I don't know what level of success that you've had with that. I've had you know, so much. But when you think about it, logically speaking, losing weight should be the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, when you think about it, it's a really logical, easy to understand formula for, for finding that in your life, right? You just have to eat less calories, burn more and there are so many resources to help you with that. For instance, this morning I had a protein shake, 338 calories. I'm doing pretty good today, right? Okay, I can track that. I've uh, over the course of the day I burned 99 calories today. I've uh, I've gone 2,156 steps, 1.03 miles. And some of you can pull up your device and you can tell me this is where I am for today. But here's the problem: somebody put cookies out there. That's a problem. <laughs> Peanut butter is a problem in my world. <laughs> Reese's are a problem in my world. Bluebell cookies and cream ice cream is a problem in my world. And sometimes peanut butter, cookies and cream ice cream, and Reese's all come together in this <laughs> kryptonite moment that just floors me, right? It's like, here we go, I'm diving in, right? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I want the cookie. I want the ice cream. Uh, we are a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too kind of people. And so it's hard for us at times to make the sacrifice. But here's the other reason why. And here's the bias. I want you to hear this bias that I'm going to bring to every message in this series. And the bias that, that leads us to even talking about this in the context of our faith. This, what may seem like a really practical problem in our world, to talk about in the context of what faith teaches us. I'm convinced that some of us could really make some radical changes in our life. I mean, you could look at the number of activities that your kids are involved in, for instance. You could say, no more three activities for all of them. We're going to do one thing. You could completely simplify your life in that way. You could take that calendar that may look like this and just throw it away. Just throw April out and start fresh. And only put those things on there that are absolutely necessary. You could have a whole new way of filtering your life and deciding about what you invest your life in. You could move to the mountains and just say, forget the world. And you could still come back in six months and say, I'm miserable. Now that we're totally depressed, hear this, that doesn't mean that there isn't an answer, but what it may mean is that we're asking the wrong question. We're trying to find an answer by seeking it in the wrong way. And so what I want to invite you to do is you think about what may feel like a really practical problem in your life. I want you to hear the wisdom of Jesus and what he says, what our faith teaches us in terms of thinking through what might actually be the right question to ask as we think about finding, creating space in a cluttered and chaotic world. So listen to this teaching from Jesus, Matthew 12, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says this, make a tree good 
and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And this is Jesus speaking to his adversaries in verse 34. He says to them, uh, you brood of vipers, which is not a nice thing to say, by the way, okay? So he's not complimenting them. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything that is good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Verse 35, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Verse 33, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now, how many of you drove a car here today? Did anyone drive a car? Okay, most of you probably did. There's lots of cars out in the parking lot right now. Drove cars here. Wonderful, modern convenience that we have to be able to have a car to drive it here to, to this this place. A couple years ago, my wife and I decided we needed a new car. And we actually came to that decision in a, in a way that was very depressing for me. She, in her wisdom, said, you know, if we buy a car now, in five years, when your daughter turns 16, I wasn't doing the math. She was doing the math. I was like, oh, 16, you know. But okay, so we got the car. And here's one of the things that I've recognized with a new car. I really like new cars. I mean, they're nice. They smell nice. They look nice. And when you get a new car, maybe you have a, a, a little bit greater desire to keep that car looking fresh and new. You know, you want to make sure that the kids aren't eating as much food in the back. Or you want to make sure you take your trash out and actually put it in the trash can. Not treat the whole car like a driving trash can, right? You, you, you want to make the outside look really nice. And so I appreciate the $5 car wash right down the street from, uh, from our house. Um, and for us, for my, my seven-year-old loves the car wash. So for five bucks, he gets an amusement park ride, and I get a clean car. It's awesome. It's a great, great activity. But here's what I've learned from owning a car. You've probably learned this lesson, too, that it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside if you don't care for what's on the inside. So every once in a while, four to six months or so for me and my driving habits, there's a little warning that comes up in my car. And it says, oil life, 10%. Make an appointment, David. Go get your oil changed, right? Every once in a while, you have to take care of what's on the inside. And if you don't, it doesn't matter how many times you go through the $5 car wash. Eventually, that car is going to do nothing but sit there if you don't take care of what is inside. The external is what we see. It's what we appreciate. It's what we like. But what matters is what's inside. Now Jesus, in his time, there were no cars, okay? So he doesn't use that metaphor. He uses the metaphor of fruit. And he says, we all appreciate good fruit, right? I mean, you go to Kroger, you go to Tom Thumb, wherever it is that you shop, you go to the produce section, what do you want? You want good fruit. You want healthy fruit. We all appreciate that. But what Jesus says is, don't forget that good fruit only comes from one place. Good fruit comes from good trees. And good trees are those that are rooted in good soil. Good soil. The tree has a good root system that is able to pull out of that good soil the life-giving nutrients that the tree needs. Those nutrients come up through the trunk out to the branches and it is only when all of those things are happening that you can show up at the grocery store and buy that good 
fruit. There are things that we see and we appreciate. The goodness of the fruit, the, the beauty of the car that is clean, but it is what that is inside that actually matters. Now, when you think about that in reference to cars or in reference to fruit, I mean, that's, that's elementary teaching, right? I mean, when you first got a car, your parents probably told you, hey, there's the oil, you take care of this, you got to put gas in it. You, you know that if you have a garden, you have to invest in the soil, you have to invest in nurturing the plants that are growing there. But when you bring that teaching into the way we think about our life, and this is what Jesus says our life is like. If you believe that, if you buy into this idea, it is really a revolutionary way to think about your life. Because what it means is this, that the quality, the vitality, and the clarity of your life is not determined by what is happening around you or what you may perceive as happening to you, but rather what is happening in you. And the disharmony that we often feel, the clutter and chaos and stress and anxiety that we often experience and we think of it as the problem of one of these or some other thing that's happening to us in our life, it's actually a projection of what is happening deep inside of us. We see it, we, we appreciate it when we think about the hurry in our life, we'll talk about that next week. As we think about the noise that surrounds us each and every day, as we think about the expectations that we seek to live into, the expectations of family or, or work or other people in our life, when we think about the physical clutter of our life, you look around, you, you see it at this level, but the clutter and the chaos actually lives somewhere else according to Jesus. It exists in our souls. It's why the Proverbs says this, Proverbs 4.23, this is one worth memorizing. Above all else, the Proverbs says, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Our clutter problem is a soul problem. It's a problem of the soul. Now here's what I want to do today. I want to show you a picture of your soul. Okay, now before I show you this picture, I want you to know this is not like something you'd see on surgery TV, so nobody's going to pass out, all right? Uh, I don't want you to be worried about that, but I want to show you a picture of your soul. I want you to understand your soul, because I know when I talk about that, some of you think, okay, well, I kind of get this inside-out thing that makes some sense to me, but what, is, what does he mean by the soul? What is my soul? How am I supposed to think about my soul. So I want to give you a framework for thinking about this. So this, this framework actually comes from a book I'd recommend to you. It's a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. It's less than 200 pages. It's about, it's about that thick. It's any of you could read it, I promise, okay? So if you wanted a resource to, to read along over the course of this five-week series, that would be a great book. But let me show you how Ortberg talks about the soul. This is what your soul looks like. Isn't that neat? Did you know that was in you? That's your soul. Let me, let me kind of explain this to you. So you see several concentric circles here that represent the soul, different layers that make up the soul. So here in this inner layer, we have the layer of the will. 
And your will is what makes you a human being. You have this will that leads you to make a decision to act upon certain things that are happening in your life. It's one of the things that we really appreciate about ourselves is that we have the choice, we have the will to, 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 to make certain decisions about our life. And when we think about our will, we often think about our willpower, right? We use the word power in in conjunction with our will. But then, of course, we remember the last time we were in a room with Bluebell's Cookies and Cream ice cream. And we recognize that this will is actually fairly limited. We've all had experiences in our lives where our will was to do one thing, but for whatever reason, we decided to do another thing. And so even though we use the word willpower, we recognize that our will is actually kind of limited. We have seen it in its moment of weakness. And so the will is on the inside. It's actually the weakest part. It's the place that isn't a part of power or strength, but it's a place where we actually have some limitations. Uh, Around the will is the layer of the mind. And this isn't just your brain. We often separate our thoughts from our feelings, our brain from our, from our hearts, and in some ways we do a disservice to ourselves because the reality is that in all of us, each and every moment of our lives, there are thoughts that we are thinking, there are feelings that we are feeling, there are, there's the remembrance of experiences that we have had in our life, learnings about ourselves, about God, about the world that we bring to each and every moment of our lives, and these, th- these things interact with one another on a continual basis. We have a thought to do this, we have a feeling that says this, we have an experience that says this, and all of these things are sometimes in friction with one another within ourselves. Over the course of your life, you have learned things about yourselves, and some of the things you've learned are great things. You've been through a season of struggle, and you came out on the other side, and what you've learned is that there's a strength in you that you did not know. That there's a strength in God's presence and God's ability to sustain you that you did not know. That's a good and powerful, a lovely and pure thing. That's what Paul refers to it in the book of Philippians. Something we need to remember and, and, and grab hold of in our life. But we've also had experience in our lives that, that have taught us some bad things about ourselves. May, maybe there's been some experience in your life or, or, or a word that's been repeated in your life over and over again to remind you that you're not good. That you're, that you're somehow lacking. And that is here at the level of the mind as well, causing friction and chaos. Around that we have our bodies. And so again, I hate to bring it back up because now you're all going to go to the grocery store after this and want some ice cream. But think about the experience of the will that says, no, and the body that says, yes. (laughs) We all have our own physical kingdom. You have a body. You, are, you exist because you have a body. And the body has certain cravings and certain desires that, you, uh, that is often in conflict with the will. Are you seeing why life is sometimes hard? Now, what's this last layer? The last layer is the soul. Now, I want you to understand how Ortberg flips the paradigm that most of us have in our minds. We, we think of our soul as being where? We think of this as being the soul. It's what's inside. But what Ortberg says is the soul is actually the place where all of these three things interact with one another. Now listen to what he says about that. 
The soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. It is something like a program that runs a computer. You don't usually notice it unless it messes up. The soul seeks, listen to these words, harmony, connection, and integration. That is why the word integrity is such a deep soul word. I lost my place. Here we are. The human soul seeks to integrate our will and our mind and our body into an integral person. Beyond that, the soul seeks to connect us with other people, with creation, and with God himself who made us to be rooted in him the way a tree is rooted by a life-giving stream. An unhealthy soul is one that experiences disintegration and sin always causes the disintegration of the soul. But a soul is healthy well-ordered when there is harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. In other words, the chaos and the stress and the friction that many of us live with, that we see and appreciate when we look at the calendar, we look at the to-do list, we, look, we think about the expectations of the people around us, we we see it and we appreciate it there, but it actually lives somewhere else. Go back to the circle picture. It lives here in the soul, in this battle that we wage within ourselves between our will and our mind and our body and our soul crying out for harmony and connection and integration among these three parts. And that's why this series is not about how to rearrange your sock drawer, okay? Now, that may encourage some of you to not come back for the next month, you know, as we move through this series. Some of you may want that. And if you do, go to the internet. There'll be plenty of different re resources for you on how to do that. This series is not about how to have the greatest garage sale in the history of garage sales so that you can take that second vacation that you don't have time for. It's not about any of those things. And yet, it's kind of also about all of those things because it's about the one thing that is at work in all of those situations. It's about your soul. It's about your soul. And whether there within you, there is a system that is bringing life-giving nutrients into your life. Storing up the good so that good may be shared through you. Or whether you might look internally and you would see a system that simply needs to be reconnected to life and to once again be rooted in good soil. So here's what I want you to do as we close today. I want to invite you first just to take some deep breaths. You've been breathing the whole time. You know how to do this, trust me. But just a little bit further and just breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in. And breathe out. Keep doing that. It's recommended. Just breathe in and breathe out. And love for you as you just breathe in life and breathe out anything else that may inhibit life. I'd love for you just to close your eyes for me for a moment. And as you do, I want you to spend some time just in your own heart and mind thinking about your soul.
Think about the words that you would use today to describe your soul. Would you describe your soul as healthy, vital, thriving, at peace? Or would you describe your soul as thirsty, empty, cluttered? lacking Psalm 1 calls the person blessed who is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit and season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers is your soul planted today Do you see the fruit of that tree that is connected to the life-giving nutrients of that good soil? That's what I want to invite you to think about this week. In the weeks ahead, we'll talk about hurry. We're going to talk about noise. We're going to talk about expectation. We're going to talk about our past. And we're going to talk about our physical clutter. We're going to get to that at the very end. But I want you to begin by first thinking about what is happening within you. And recognize that it may have nothing to do with what's happening around you or what you may perceive is happening to you. It's about the soul and what we find when we look there. Let me say a prayer for you. Lord Jesus, today we thank you for your wisdom, which invites us so often, Lord, to ask a different question, to think about ourselves, to think about our need, to think about you in a different way. So I pray, Lord, for the patience, for the space to do that work in the weeks ahead. Help us, Lord, to take deep breaths, to release anything that may be inhibiting the life you seek to offer. And perhaps, Lord, in these days to replant ourselves in the good soil that is your love and is your grace. This is my prayer today for all my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.